Greetings in Jesus' name. It's good to be met together to worship this morning. This morning I would like to focus on, for the text verses, primarily from 1 John chapter 1. So I invite you to turn there. As you're turning there, I have a few questions for you to, to think about. Why do we gather together with other people? Why do we do that? I think the answer is we are created with a need for interaction and fellowship with other people. There are a few hermits in the world. I understand that. Some time ago I read the story of a man who uh, got disgusted with society, went out in the Rocky Mountains and built himself a little shack and lived there year-round. He came out, he still comes out several times a year to a local grocery store and gets his supplies and goes back in. National Weather Service found out about him and they helped him build a better cabin and gave him all kinds of weather recording equipment and uh, he's a valuable asset to them now, but he still lives alone. And he's an avid reader. He has a house full of books and he keeps up with things through reading. And I guess when he goes out for groceries, he stocks up on reading material as well. But that's unusual. That's not normal for human <coughs> beings. First John chapter 1. That which we have heard from the beginning, which we have heard, which that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. The theme verse for this morning is, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So, is all social interaction between humans the same? Is it all the same? Do you think that there are times where Rachel Rank, Daniel and Joetta, Nathan and Claudia and them experience loneliness over in Jordan? They live in a city. There's thousands of people around them. So how could that be? You can be in a crowd of people and feel lonely if there's no fellowship there, if there's no connection. So we conclude that not all social interaction is the same, nor is it equal in meeting our social needs of interaction. Some social interaction can be exhausting. Have you ever experienced that? Jesus did. He needed to come away from the crowds. At times he went out alone, Scripture says he would rise up early in the morning, he'd go out on the mountainside, he would pray, he'd spend time with his heavenly Father. There was times he would take his 12 disciples and attempt to get away. Generally didn't work well, but he would attempt to have times where he would get away and just be with the 12 and interact with them. So even Jesus found that social interaction can be exhausting. Because there's there's types of social interaction that, that draw deeply from you and you feel like you're giving a lot and there's times you need to, to back up and go to the Father and the Holy Spirit and to recharge. The word fellowship is used 15 times in the New Testament, but it is not always translated from the great same Greek word. 
When fellowship is used in connection with believers, followers of Jesus Christ, those who've been uh, born again, uh, experienced regeneration, the Greek word is koinonia. But when fellowship is used in connection with the unbelievers, it is the Greek word metakeia. Koinonia means a partnership, a benefaction. I had to look that one up. That's a relationship with benefits. It's a benefaction. It's a benefit to those who interact in it. It is a communication. It's communion. But it's more than that, as we'll see as we go through the message. It's also, koinonia also means distribution. So it's a giving out, not just a taking in. It's fellowship on a deep level that benefits the participants. And we can, we can wrap our minds around that as we think about the communion service. I love the communion service. I look forward to that. It's, it's a fellowship on a deep level, and, and the benefits, the spiritual benefits are so wonderful as we reflect on what Jesus done for us and the blessing of fulfilling His commandment to do this until He returns. Then we come to Medicaia. It simply means participation. Social interaction of the unregenerate often is an attempt to escape reality. And the scripture tells us, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. The scripture is saying, do not interact with, do not participate in the unfruitful works of darkness. That type of social interaction, that type of fellowship, avoid that. So as I've already said, a lot of the social interaction of the unregenerate, of the getting together, is an attempt to escape reality. Some time ago, Joe Hartman and I uh, took pickups and trailers and what have you down to Shenandoah, and we would catch the youth in their canoes when they finished canoeing and bring them back up to welding heat walls. And as we sat there waiting and waiting for them to come down the river, across the river on a Saturday afternoon was a dock, and there was people obviously gearing up for social interaction that evening. And as the sounds that we heard coming uh, across the water, you know, sound comes across the water. The sound we heard coming across the water there and uh, the music it was playing told me a little bit about the type of social interaction they were preparing for. And I don't think it would have been edifying. I think it was an attempt to escape reality. And you see that in society all around us. Uh, just had a conversation with someone recently about all these microbreweries that are popping up. Harrisonburg's famous for all its little breweries now. And when we traveled through the West this summer, uh, there was a lot of things that was beautiful, but there was a lot of things that was sad. And one of the saddest things was that <clears throat> in the West, no matter how small the town was, there was generally multiple bars and multiple casinos. It seems like that's the way of the West, bars and casinos. And I'm sure that other parts of the world is similar. So I say that to, all that to say this, the, the social interaction of the unregenerate is often an attempt to escape reality. In contrast to that, the fellowship of, of the born-again believers, the children of God, is an attempt, or it's not an attempt, it is an exercise in embracing reality. And what is reality? Reality is there is a God. There's a God who created us, and we're sinful beings. And, and the Son of God came and died and shed His blood for us, and we're reconciled to God, and now we're called to be ministers of reconciliation and that living water we need to share with others. That's reality. 
And our fellowship is to embrace that reality and encourage each other in faithfulness in propagating that reality of salvation of people around us. You're planning to go to the dream park, but I think the real reason you want to go to the dream park is you want to reach out to people, right? You want an opportunity. And our interaction as Christians should be uh, based on that. The social interaction of the unbeliever is a two-way relationship, and it generally ends in strife. Do you ever think about that? Shootings, fights, all those types of things you read about in the paper, they generally started at some type of a social event, a meeting place, generally a bar room or something like that. In contrast to that, the fellowship of the saints is a how-many-way relationship. It's a three-way relationship. And that brings us back to our text verse. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have koinonia with us. And truly our koinonia is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ and with each other. It doesn't say that, but that's what is indicated. He says our fellowship. So our is two. And then he brings into that with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and we understand that. Now, let's look at a number of biblical expressions of Christian fellowship or Christian koinonia. Let's begin in the book of Acts, Acts, the second chapter. Acts chapter 2. Verses 41 and 42. You know the setting here. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. Peter addresses the crowd. Uh, the crowd responded and said, Men and brethren, what must he do? He said, Repent and be baptized. And we know that quite a number of people responded to that. And then we come to verse 41 and begin reading there. And they that gladly received his word were baptized. And that same day there added to them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in koinonia, and breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and they had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they continually, daily, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And here we have a, a beautiful expression of the reality of the saving grace of God coming in and transforming lives. And out of that, the beautiful interpersonal relationships that, that grew out of that. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in koinonia in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So the apostles' doctrine was salvation through Jesus Christ. The, the door was open for the Gentiles. All men could come, become followers of God. The apostles' doctrine. That was the basis that they gathered around. And then they koinoniaed with each other. They had close fellowship and they broke bread and they prayed together. And they ate together. And they, they ministered to each other's needs, even to the point of selling things if they needed to. And they continued on day after day in one accord. 
unity, praising God and having favor. There we see a beautiful expression of koinonia. Romans 15. Romans, the 15th chapter. And here we have Paul writing, and he's talking about his plan to visit Rome. Verse 25. But now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, where it pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Now the Greek word koinonia is in these two verses. Anyone want to guess which English word it is? It's contribution. So Paul was traveling, and I don't fully understand this, but at the time of Pentecost and shortly thereafter, there was a lot of poverty. There was a lot of financial need for the Jerusalem believers. And he's saying that it pleased the believers of Macedonia and Achaia to make certain koinonia, to make certain gifts, financial aid for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. For it hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles had been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things, giving and sharing together, to be a public servant. It's part of interacting in the fellowship of Koinonia. First Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Just across a few pages. God is faithful by whom you are called into the koinonia of His Son, Jesus Christ, and our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And he goes on to talk about the, uh, the problem of division and lack of unity that existed there amongst the believers at Corinth. And he said, is Christ divided? Some says, I'm of Paul, and others are of Apollos, and some of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. He said, is Christ divided, or is He unified? There is unity in Koinonia amongst the believers. Let's go back to chapter 10, 1 Corinthians. Verses 16 and 17. And we recognize this, these verses, what we share together and we pass out the communion. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Is it not the koinonia, the fellowship of the blood of Christ? The bread which you break, is it not the communion? Is it not the koinonia, the, the sharing together of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. What is bread made of? Generally, it's made of wheat, right? And wheat, when you harvest it, you harvest the kernels. But can you find the kernels when you eat the bread? Why not? When we share the cup, what's it made of? Grapes, right? Can you find the grapes? No. They've all lost their identity to make something that's one. So all these... Kernels of wheat, however many kernels of wheat it takes to make a loaf of bread, 
have all been ground to powder and mixed up and they've lost their identity and they all become one uh, container of flour that's then made into bread. And it benefits those who receive it. The same with the juice. All those grapes have given up their identity, have shed their juice, and have made a liquid that benefits those who partake of it. And that's a beautiful picture of koinonia, where we, we become one. And it's not so much about me or you. It's about being one in Christ. Because our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Koinonia is about being, becoming one in Christ. 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5. And this, this gift from Macedonia to the believers, it keeps finding its way uh, into expressions as we go back through uh, the letters to Corinth. Moreover, brethren, we would do, we would do you to wit the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, how that in the great trial of affliction and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. So he's saying these these believers in Achaia and Macedonia, they were experiencing deep poverty and affliction, probably persecution. For their power, I bear record to you, beyond their power, they are willing of themselves, praying that with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the koinonia of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first they gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that he had begun, that he would also finish to you the same grace also. And he goes on to talk about, uh, goes on to expound on that. But these believers at Macedonia and Achaia, their gift obviously so moved Paul and so spoke to him, and the Spirit kept prompting him to bring it up and share it in his writings as an example of the fellowship of the believers, the koinonia of believers. Let's go over to chapter 9, verse 13. He's again talking about sowing generously, blessing fellow believers. Verse 13, While by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your profession, subjecting to the gospel of Christ for your, liberality, for, your, for your liberal distribution unto them and to all men. Now, that's a little bit of a choppy writing. But what I want to pull out of this verse is koinonia is the word, the Greek word koinonia is used in this verse. And it's used for our English word distribution. So koinonia is not just about what I receive. It's not just about the benefits that come my way because of being in Christ, it's about the distribution to others, the blessings that we have. It's part of the fellowship. It's part of the communion of being in Christ. The Scripture asks us, if we see our brother in need and shut up our bowels of compassion, does the love of Christ dwell within us? And we know the answer is no, it doesn't. But communion and fellowship is about distribution. It's about blessing and sharing and serving those around us. Chapter 13 and verse 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the koinonia of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. So he concludes this, this second letter uh, 
to the believers at Corinth and all their struggles and the sin they needed to be dealing with in the church. And he admonishes them and encourages them that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the koinonia of the Holy Ghost be with them and surround them and, and direct their lives and their interpersonal relationships with each other. Philippians, excuse me, not Philippians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. And verse 8 through 10. And to me who am, in, who am less than least of all the saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the koinonia of the mystery which is from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to intent that now unto the principalities and the powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of of God. I'd use the word witness here. Koinonia calls us to be a witness. He says, I'm least in all the saints, but this grace is given to me that I should preach to the Gentiles. I should share with those around me the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in Christ, who created all things by Christ Jesus. And now verse 10, and I don't... Uh, I don't pretend to understand all of verse 10, but I do believe that it teaches that the principalities and the powers in the heavenly realms are observing the church. And God wants the church to function as it should, and when it does, it is a witness of the power of God of changed lives and unity and fellowship to the adversaries, of, to our spiritual adversaries in the heavenly realms. To the intent that now unto the principalities and the powers in heavenly places might be known or might be shown by the church the manifold wisdom of God. I believe God wants us to function as a body of believers in such a way that the spiritual adversaries that's looking on marvels at the manifold wisdom of God in the way He is formed and provided for and meets the needs within the children of God, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church. Philippians 1. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. We see as a progressive relationship. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, and always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy, for your koinonia, your fellowship in the gospel from the first day unto now, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ, even as meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of my grace. He's saying that this relationship, your relationship with God through Christ and the Holy Spirit is a progressive relationship. God is working in our lives. And he said, I'm confident that God who began a good work in you, it's your conversion, will continue to build upon that foundation, build upon that working in your life. The water gets deeper. It started as a trickle and it went to the ankles. God's calling us in deeper because he has work for us to do. He has, he's leading us to where we can serve Him uh, according to His design for today. 
and tomorrow and continue on. God, God's work in our lives is progressive and he's calling us to follow him. And, but the, at the basis of that, he says, for, verse 5, for your fellowship, for your koinonia in the gospel from the first day unto now. I just want to keep calling us back to the, to the reality that the basis of our koinonia is our relationship with our God through Jesus Christ and with each other. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Unity. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love and any fellowship, any koinonia of the Spirit, of any bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let every let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we know the beautiful passage just goes on to talk about Jesus Christ leaving the glories of heaven, coming here to earth, being found in fashion as a man, owned himself, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And at the end of that, God has highly exalted him. And he's calling us here. He said, if, if you understand what it means, the encouragement, the consolation of being in Christ, and if you understand the fellowship, what it means to be koinonia into the spirit and into the body of Christ, then out of that, this is how you should live. Do nothing through strife or vainglory, but love each other. Be of one accord, be of one mind. Esteem others better than yourself. Don't just look out for yourself. Look out for the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. You know, I've been thinking about this verse recently a lot. If we would follow these two verses, three verses, verse 2, verse 3, and verse 4, would there ever be any interpersonal relationship problems? Would there ever be any strife? If each one of us made it a goal of looking out and making sure that the other always got the best end of the deal, making sure the other person's need was always met ahead of our own, would there ever be interpersonal relationship problems? I've concluded there wouldn't be. We have interpersonal relationship problems because we're looking out for me. We want to make sure we get our fair share. But in Koinonia, he says, you look up for the other one. And he tells us that there's unity here when we do that. It's being of one accord and of one mind. Philemon yet. Philemon the only chapter there is, verses 4 through 7. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, <clears throat> which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging, acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Whereof 
that I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee which is convenient. And I'll stop reading there. Paul here was writing to his friend Philemon, and Paul is, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, is challenging Philemon to open up his heart to a brother who also happened to be a runaway slave of Onesimus. You know, Onesimus was a slave. Philemon was the slave owner or the master. And he's challenging him. And he used the word koinonia here in verse 6. And is that the koinonia of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, Philemon, you have an opportunity and an obligation to communicate the fellowship of the saints when this runaway slave comes back to you. And don't just receive him as a runaway coming home. He goes on to say, you receive him as a brother because he'll be more valuable to you after he came back than he ever was before he left. And I'm consolidating all this chapter down into a few thoughts. And I believe Paul is challenging him. He says that the communication of your faith, that the koinonia of your faith, Philemon, the way you receive this man when he walks back to you after having run off is going to be an expression of your faith, your koinonia, your fellowship with the saints. One more set of verses yet. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verses 14 through 16. For we have no continuing city here, but we seek one to come. Calls us to an eternal view. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lip, giving thanks unto his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Where do you think we're going to find the Greek word koinonia in these verses? Communicate. But to do good and to koinonia, forget not. But to do good and to have sweet fellowship with Christ and with your fellow believers, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. It's a way for us to, to enjoy the benefits that God has intended for us. It is a way for us to, to bless others. It's a way for us to distribute to the necessities of others. It's a way for us to, to be a witness to the world around us. It's a way for us to be a witness to the principalities and powers that oppose us. And, in, and I'd like to just uh, wrap it up with these verses, maybe not the sermon, but this thought. To wrap up this thought, but to do good and to koinonia, to fellowship with each other on a godly level, forget not, for with that type of sacrifice, God is well pleased. So what is the center of our fellowship? We're back to where we started. The center of our fellowship is God and the worship of God. And the fact that we have been enabled to do that through the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. We've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. 
and of our relationship with God, and out of our position in Christ, we're enabled to speak into the lives of others and to bless and to share the blessings of being in Christ with them. So is that something that God only revealed and intended for the New Testament? Or did God start to reveal it to us way back in the Old Testament and it built up and built up, and now we have the complete revelation uh, in the New Testament like we have so many other things? And the answer to that is yes. And I won't take time to read all of that, but I encourage you to, uh, if you're taking notes, jot this down. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 1 through 17, God called His people to three different feasts of celebration. The first was the Passover. Verses 1 through 8 of Deuteronomy 16. It's the anniversary of their deliverance from Egypt. It's the anniversary of the date when the blood was placed on the door tops, on the, uh, on the door seal, and the angel of death passed over. They are to eat unleavened bread. It helps them to remember the affliction of slavery in Egypt. They are to fellowship. They were to slaughter a lamb, and they were to eat and to fellowship around that meal. What is our fellowship to center around? A lamb, right? A lamb that was slain, the Lord Jesus Christ. Pointing forward. And he said, I want you to only do this in the place I'm going to choose for you. Hold that thought. Verses 9 through 12, the Feast of Weeks. Seven weeks after the beginning of the grain harvest. And there was a number of commandments that go with that. When they went to that feast, they were to take the first fruits and they were to take their tithes and they were to go and they were to give. And they were to rejoice. It was to be a great time of rejoicing, but they were still called to eat unleavened bread and to reflect on the bondage. God, in society today, we talk about people getting famous or whatever, and they said, well, they need to remember their grassroots. They need to remember where they came from. We need to remember that as well as our spiritual, as well in our spiritual pilgrimage. God always called His people to reflect back on what they were delivered from. And I believe that makes our fellowship even sweeter when we remember what we were delivered from, the sin that we're delivered out of, and the forgiveness and the fellowship we enjoy in contrast to what we were before Christ. So they were called to the Feast of Weeks, a time of giving, a time of great rejoicing. And then the Feast of Tabernacles, after the, after the last thrashing of the wheat and the last pressing of the grapes, at the end of the harvest season, they were called to another feast, a great, and this was also to be a time of rejoicing and giving and sharing and praising God for His blessings. And they were called to do that three times. And later on, then God revealed where that place would be. It was Jerusalem after the temple was built there, and they were to go there. We come forwards to Luke chapter 2, story that I love in the New Testament. Jesus' parents kept this commandment. They went up to Jerusalem to worship. And by that time... Uh, Secular historians tell us that the Jewish people had consolidated those three trips down to one. If they lived at a distance, they would just go to Jerusalem once a year and sort of combine this worshiping and, and giving and the sacrifice of the lamb and all those things that were to take place. And Jesus' parents were doing that, and that's when he was 12 years old. He was separated from his parents, and 
after they traveled home a day, they realized he wasn't with them, and they went back and found him in the temple, and he said, Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? They were obeying the call to go to Jerusalem and to fellowship. And what did they do as they traveled those many miles? Well, we don't know what all they done, but we do know that they sang and they traveled together in groups, which is evidenced by the fact that Jesus' parents traveled a whole day before they realized their son was missing. They traveled a whole day. So it gives me an idea that families or communities traveled together. And I like that idea. I think that would have been very enjoyable. I would have enjoyed that very much. Camping along the road. And, and as they went, they sang. You can jot this down too. We, their songs that they sang on those, those journeys are recorded for us between Psalm 120 and Psalm 134. Read those psalms and just meditate on singing those as you travel. Psalm 100 through 120 through 128 are psalms about the blessings of following God. A lot of times if I'm visiting an older person who's struggling, I'll read Psalm 121 or something there. It's about the blessing of being faithful and following God. Then we come to Psalm 129 and 130. They're psalms about the deep struggles of life. And then we come to Psalm 131 and 132. They're psalms that call us to confidence in God. They're psalms that just reflect on how God has been faithful and He has brought His people through. And then Psalm 133 is a psalm about unity of the believers, interpersonal relationships. I believe it refers to unity as being like the precious oil that flows down over Aaron's beard. It's a psalm that extols unity among believers. And then Psalm 134 is a psalm of benediction. So what can we learn from God's directives for His people? To worship Him, to fellowship around the Lamb. Just like they were to fellowship around the Lamb as they celebrated the Passover, we're to to fellowship around the Lamb that was slain, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we are called to. That's what our text verse calls us to. We started out in 1 John chapter 1. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye may have koinonia with us, and truly our koinonia is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And I jotted down a few things that challenged me as I've studied for this. One, worship is priority. Our fellowship should, resolve, should revolve around worship of our Creator, our Sustainer, and our Savior. Worship calls us from the normal activities of life to focus on the eternal. And I'm not sure how they work that all out, but to take three pilgrimages a year up to Jerusalem from wherever you live to worship was a commitment. It called them from the normal activities of life to focus on God. God says, be still and know that I am God. Worship calls us into relationship with other believers. There's really no provision for hermit believers. God calls, God's call in our lives to worship, to fellowship, to koinonia is a call into relationship with other believers and to enter into that relationship with God at the center.
So here's my conclusion. God calls us to seek, to reflect, and to remember. What He has done for us, what He's delivered us from, and to continue to seek Him as a directive in His directives for our future. God calls us to worship. And out of all of that, I believe He bestows upon us then faith to walk with Him today and tomorrow. Because we know what He's done for us in the past. He's delivered us. All that He's provided for us, He has done for us. In His faithfulness, He will continue to do that. Paul said, I'm confident that He who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. So may we go forward in faith, knowing that the One who led us will continue to lead us, and He wants us to have sweet fellowship with Him and with others as we go. May God add His blessing.